Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter uh, 8. John chapter 8, we're doing a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. And as we continue in our study this morning, we come this morning to John chapter 8, verse 31. And my goal today is to cover verses 31 through 36. And the title of the message this morning is Encouraging Promises for brand new believers, encouraging promises for brand new believers. Last Sunday morning, I was walking through the lobby on my way into the auditorium for our morning service, and an elder uh, approached me and told me that a lady got saved uh, during our equipping school hour. And he pointed out to me who she was. Uh, So when she came walking toward me, I said to her, I heard you got saved this morning. Is that true? And she said, yes. And then she pulled out a piece of paper from her Bible that had some words written on it. And she said to me, I am supposed to tell you that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then she went on to read the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17 to me. This is a woman who was brought to Cornerstone by one of our members, and she has, over the last uh, several weeks, been attending a care group where the members of that care group have been ministering the gospel to her. I hugged this woman last Sunday morning, and I welcomed her into the family of God. And as I did so, I met eyes with the brother who had been teaching the equipping school class that she was attending that morning. While he taught the Word of God that morning, he and others in the class could see that the Lord was touching this woman's heart, so much so that an elder approached her after the class was concluded and led her in calling upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And you all got a brand new sister in Christ last Sunday morning. And here's the crazy thing. This happened in California. (laughs) Imagine that God is still working in saving souls in the state of California. And I am glad that one of our members was here to invite her to church and to present Christ to her. I'm glad that her care group leader and others in her care group had been pointing her so beautifully to Christ over the last few weeks. I'm grateful that that equipping school teacher was here to teach her the Word of God last Sunday morning, and I'm glad that this particular elder was here to point her to the Savior and lead her in crying out to the Lord for salvation, and I'm glad that all of us are here this morning in this church to rejoice in this soul that was saved through the ministry of this church here in this dark state of California. There's nothing like seeing someone come to Christ. Amen? New believers are a great encouragement to the people of God, but new believers need encouragement also, right? And Jesus is good to provide that encouragement in lavish doses in our passage this morning. Most of what Jesus says in our text today was spoken to brand new 
believers who had become believers in Christ just a few moments earlier. And in this passage, Jesus delivers four promises to encourage them to continue in his word. In fact, in verse 31 and 32, he says to those who have just believed in him, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And in verse 36, Jesus says, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. These are wonderful promises for those who believe in Christ and who continue in his word. But in order for us to study these promises and really appreciate these promises that Jesus speaks on this occasion, we need to understand what has happened leading up to this moment. So since we have been out of the Gospel of John for um, 21 days Now, let me begin by reading to you some key portions of John chapter 8, verses 12 through 29 that we studied a few weeks ago. Remember, Jesus is in the temple at some point after the Feast of Tabernacles. And in verse 12, look at verse 12 of John 8. John says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In verse 19, the religious leaders challenge Jesus and they ask him, where is your father? And Jesus says to them, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Then in verse 21, John says, then he, Jesus, said again to them, And the them is the Jewish religious leaders who have been challenging Jesus. He said to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. In verse 23, the text says, and Jesus was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Verse 25, so they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. In verse 28, John says, So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And then in John chapter 8, verse 30, which is where we ended a few weeks ago, John says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. 
Let's linger for a few minutes on what John is saying about these people who are responding to Jesus in the way he describes here in verse 30. First of all, uh, he says there are many, so that's a lot. Uh, Who are these many? Well, we will learn from the next verse, verse 31, that at least some of them were from among the Jewish religious leaders. But there were no doubt others who are believing right now as well, whom Jesus had been teaching in the treasury of the temple. We learned about that in verse 20, who were listening in as Jesus was engaging in this conversation with these religious leaders. Secondly, notice how John tells us that these many had come to believe in him as he spoke these things. In other words, they came to faith in Jesus while hearing the very things I just read to you that Jesus was saying, which is no small miracle when you consider the jarring things that Jesus has just been speaking to them. John also literally in the Greek tells us in verse 30 that they believed into him, denoting a movement toward Jesus and then entering into him by faith. And then in verse 31, look at the verse, John describes at least some of these men as the Jews who had believed him. The expression, the Jews, as we've already seen throughout the Gospel of John, is code for the religious leaders. So we know that among the many who are believing in Jesus here in John 8, there were at least some of them who were among the religious leaders of Israel. And notice that John describes them in verse 31 as the Jews who had believed him. This tells us that they didn't just believe in Jesus, but that they believed Jesus. In other words, they believed him when he spoke all the words that he has just spoken to them. What does that mean? Well, Jesus has just told them that they are from below and that they are of this world. And John is telling us here in verse 31 that evidently they believed him when he said those things about them. Jesus told them that they did not know him nor his father And John is telling us here that they believed Jesus when he said that and delivered that critique of them. Jesus told them that they will die in their sins unless they believed in him. And John is telling us here that they believed him when he said that to them. Jesus told them that he is the light of the world that they need And that they will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life if they would follow him. And John is telling us here in verse 31 that they believed Jesus when he said that to them. Jesus also told them that he is the son of man, the Messiah, the great I am. And John is telling us here in verse 31 that these people believed him when he made these claims about himself. So in summary, in verse 30, John tells us, as he spoke these things, many came to believe into him. And in verse 31, John tells us that they believed him. That's wonderful. 
So as we look at our text for today, keep in mind that there are now two groups of people who are standing before Jesus, two groups of religious leaders that are standing before Jesus. Group one is the religious leaders who have just now come to believe in Jesus, and group number two are the religious leaders who did not believe in Jesus, and they're still rejecting him. These believing Jews in group one are baby Christians whose faith in Jesus is literally just a few minutes old. They have a lot of challenges that lie ahead of them, and they need some hefty encouragement right away. And what we see in our text today is how Jesus immediately speaks this encouragement to them and seeks to fan the flames of their newborn faith in him and encouraging them to continue in his word on the road ahead, even in the hostile environment that they find themselves in right now. And wonderfully, the promises that Jesus gives to them belong to every one of us in this room who believe in Jesus. So let's look at these promises and be encouraged by them. The way we'll break down our study of this text is we'll just observe four promises this morning, four promises that Jesus makes to believers in him who continue in his word. Promise number one, you will be a true disciple of Jesus. You will be a true disciple of Jesus. Observe what Jesus does in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. To appreciate this promise, we should remember and think uh, for a minute or two about what the word of Jesus is. For those Jesus is speaking to here, it would have included the words that he has just been speaking about himself in this chapter. It would include every word that he has spoken during the previous week of the Feast of Tabernacles that John has recorded for us, all of which would have been fresh on the minds of the people that Jesus is talking to here. It would have included everything that Jesus has said up to this point of his ministry. And his word would also include anything that he will be saying in the weeks and months to come as he approaches his death. And his word will eventually come to include everything that Jesus will ever say that will be included and written down in the inspired word of God that we have in our possession today. And ultimately, I think, his word includes everything said in all of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New, which is ultimately God's revelation about Jesus. All of the Bible is the word of Jesus in the sense that it comes from him and points us to him at every turn. And Jesus is calling upon these brand new believers and all of us who believe in Jesus to continue in his word. Jesus knows that these new believers have believed him and believed in him. They have believed his word and have acted upon what they have heard 
in a good way by believing in him, but Jesus knows that they must not stop there. They must continue in his word through the rest of the day and through tomorrow and the next day and the next, all the way to the end of their life. Even when their fellow religious leaders are persecuting them and trying to ridicule them away from Jesus, Jesus is telling them to continue in his word. Even when on the road ahead, Jesus may say things that are hard for them to hear, they must continue in his word and not turn away from his word towards someone else's word that may tickle their ears. Even when following his word may cost them everything, they must continue in his word, and so must we. In the days to come, when their heart may condemn them for their sinful failures, they must continue in his word rather than listen to the condemnations of their own heart. In their moments of defeat and discouragement, they must continue in his word and cherish the gracious promises and comforts that he speaks to them in the gospel. Even six months from now, when they hear the news that Jesus has been crucified upon a cross, they must continue in his word in faith. If they continue in Jesus' word like this, Jesus says to them, look at the text, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. A disciple is a learner. A disciple of Jesus is a learner of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows him and makes him their ultimate teacher and guide through life, wherein they listen to him and to his voice above all others and bring their life into alignment with his teaching. You see, a part of how Jesus carries out his work of saving us is by teaching us. So to be saved or rescued by him, we must be disciples of him and sit at his feet and let him teach us all that he wants us to know and then to live accordingly. And saying what he says here, Jesus is making it very clear who he considers to be his disciples. It's not those who embrace his word for a day or two or three and then fall away. It's those who continue in his word day by day, month after month, and year after year. But I love how he states this promise here. He doesn't say, if you continue in my word, then you will one day truly be my disciples. No, he says here, if you continue in my word, then you are, present tense, truly disciples of mine. In other words, you will thereby show or reveal by your continuance in my word that you are already true disciples of me. This is the first encouraging promise that Jesus gives to these brand new believers in him, but he doesn't stop there. He wants them to know that there is a profound benefit 
that they will experience if they continue in his word, which brings us to promise number two that Jesus makes to those who continue in his word. Promise number two, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. What a great promise this is. Listen again to Jesus' words. He says to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth. This assurance from Jesus means a handful of things. First of all, Jesus is promising that if we continue in his word, we're going to know that there is such a thing as truth and falsehood. And we will know the difference between truth and falsehood. And we're going to be able to discern what is true. And that's good news for us, right? After all, there are many, many voices that are clamoring for our attention today, speaking to us today, wanting our undivided attention. Which voices do we listen to? Which voices are speaking the truth and which ones are speaking lies? There's only one way to know, guys, and that is to continue in his word, to continue in the words of Jesus. If we do that, Jesus says that we will know the truth. And Jesus is promising here that we won't just be able to arrive at tentative conclusions about the truth. He says that we will know the truth. In other words, we will come to know the truth with confidence and with certainty. Even if all the world says something different and all the world may be aligned against us, we will not be shaken because we will know the truth and we will know it to be true. Even if a PhD from Harvard chooses to write a book entitled The Sin of Certainty and tells us essentially in that book that it is a sin to be so certain about Christian doctrine we will make no apologies for the fact that we know the truth to be true. And we arrived at that certainty by continuing in the word of Jesus, who said to us, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. Now, this doesn't mean that we get to be dogmatic about everything we think we know. There's a lot we don't know, right? And a lot of things we're still learning about but there is truth that we can know with certainty that it is true if we continue in the word of Jesus. As for what the truth is that we will come to know, it's obviously the truth about ourselves that Jesus tells us. It's the truth about God that Jesus teaches us. It's the truth about life and death that Jesus teaches us about. It's the truth about our sin and the truth about salvation and about how to live a life of trust in Jesus Christ and how to experience God's grace, his saving grace through Jesus. And the ultimate truth is Jesus. 
Jesus himself. So when Jesus promises us who continue in his word that we will know the truth, part of what he is assuring us of here is that we will know him. And knowing him in a personal and relational way is the very essence of eternal life. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop here with his promises. Yes, we will know the truth if we continue in his word, but this truth will do something to us, which brings us to the third promise that Jesus makes to believers in him who continue in his word. Promise number three, the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free from sin. Observe what Jesus says at the end of verse 32, identifying for these believers what the truth that they come to know will do for them. Again, verse 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Jesus' words clearly imply that his believing listeners were formerly in bondage and Jesus is promising them that if they continue in his word, the truth that they will come to know will set them free from their former bondage and enable them to live a life of walking in liberty and freedom rather than the slavery that they used to walk in. Now, Jesus is speaking to the believers here in verse 32, but some of his listeners who are on the scene here, uh, they're hearing what Jesus is saying in this verse, and they're understanding the implication of his words, which provokes a defensive response from them. Observe what happens in verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, if we want to do justice to this verse, uh, we have to at least acknowledge a huge interpretive challenge here in verse 33. And I would encourage you um, to draw a circle around the word they here in verse 33 at the very beginning of the verse. And the question is, who is the they who are speaking to Jesus in this verse? At first blush, it would seem to be a no-brainer to understand the speakers here as those Jews who had believed Jesus and to whom Jesus has just spoken the words of verses 31 and 32. And this would be a simple conclusion to reach were it not for what Jesus goes on to say about those who are speaking here in verse 33. In fact, let's let Jesus identify who the they is in verse 33. In verse 37, he will say to the speakers in verse 33, look at verse 37, you seek to kill me. In verse 40, he will say to them, you are seeking to kill me. In verse 43, he will say to them, you cannot hear my word. In verse 45, he will say to them, you do not believe me. And in verse 47, he will say to them, you are not of God. 
So given how Jesus will go on to describe the speakers here in verse 33, we can conclude that the they of verse 33 are the members of his larger audience who are still not believing in Jesus. They're still not hearing his word. They're still rejecting him. In fact, they are wanting to kill Jesus. And they're listening in on what Jesus is saying to the new believers in verses 31 and 32. And they're taking offense that Jesus would speak to their fellow Jews in a way that implies that those Jews who don't believe in Jesus and continue in his word, that they're in bondage, that they're in slavery. They're offended at Jesus' words. And in verse 33, they say to him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? On one level, this is a very odd thing for these guys to say to Jesus. Let's see, throughout their history, the Jews were enslaved by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. But even through all of these times of bondage, the Jews always viewed themselves as subjected only externally, but not in their spirits. They might be in chains physically, but they always viewed themselves as inwardly free. So they say to Jesus, we have never been enslaved to anyone. And the vibe here is no one has ever broken our spirits and made us a people who became content to live in slavery to them. So we don't need you rescuing us from slavery. Thank you very much, Jesus. Well, observe how Jesus responds to them in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. And whenever Jesus says truly, truly, that's the time to duck. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. You see what he's doing? He's saying the slavery I'm talking about is not a slavery to some external master, but a slavery to sin, which affects all people. Everyone who commits sin as the characteristic pattern of their life is someone who is the slave of sin as evidenced by the fact that they are sinning. Such people might like to pretend that they are free and they can do whatever they wish, but they are really slaves to their sinful impulses from which Jesus desires to deliver them. Also, as the commentator William Hendrickson points out in saying what Jesus says here, Jesus obliterates the distinction between Jew and Gentile with respect to their standing before God and his holy law. The person who is sinning without repentance is, in fact, the slave of sin. It doesn't matter 
if they are Jew or Gentile. Such a person is in bondage to sin, and this slavery is the condition of all people all over the globe. Slavery that Jesus is promising in this passage that those who continue in his word will be delivered out of. He says here, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free from sin is the point. And the deliverance that Jesus is talking about in this passage is deliverance from sin in the sense of deliverance from the guilt of sin, deliverance from the eternal judgment that we deserve for our sins, which Jesus will accomplish for us through his shed blood at the cross. He is also speaking of deliverance from the power of sin, where believers in him are now freed up to say no to sin that they were formerly enslaved to. And Jesus is also promising deliverance one day from the very presence of sin. One day, all who believe in Jesus and all who abide in his word will be completely free from sin, both within and without, as they live in eternity with Christ in heaven in a sinless existence forever. Imagine how great that's going to be. Imagine being in heaven a trillion years from now and talking to your brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, I haven't sinned in a trillion years. I haven't even been tempted to sin in a trillion years. How glorious that will be. And this is part of the truth that we know, and we know it to be true because Jesus tells us that it is so. Jesus has assured those who believe in him that if they continue in his word, they will show themselves to be truly his disciples. They will know the truth and the truth will make them free from sins, guilt, and power, and even one day from its presence. But then Jesus speaks one final encouragement, which brings us to the fourth promise that Jesus makes to these brand new believers if they continue in his word. Number four, we can word the promise this way, the son will make you free indeed. The son will make you free indeed. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 35. To the unbelieving Jews who have just challenged him, he says the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. In making the statement that the slave does not remain in the house forever, Jesus is saying something that everyone in his audience already knew. And that is that a slave had no permanent place in the household. The slave could be bought and sold at will by his masters. He had no rights, no security, and no inheritance like a son in the family would. And Jesus' point is that given the fact that these Jewish unbelievers are slaves to sin, he's saying that they have no part in God's family. To be a son in the family of God requires faith in Jesus. Anyone who rejected 
Jesus thereby demonstrates that they are not sons of God. Instead, they are merely slaves to sin. And being slaves to sin, they had no place in the household or the family of God. Yes, they might be biological Jews and have a place for a time among God's earthly people, but they are not a part of the true family of God and their place in God's household will only be temporary. In contrast to them, Jesus says that someone who is an actual son by faith, an actual son of Abraham, perhaps by faith, does remain in the household of God forever. And even more to Jesus' point, Jesus himself is the ultimate son, the son who is not a slave to sin because he has never sinned. He is the ultimate son of Abraham, the ultimate son of God, and his status in the family of God is secure forever, which means that if anyone wants to be in the family of God forever, it must be through him and only through him, which is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Notice how forcefully Jesus expresses this. Jesus obviously has very high confidence regarding his abilities as a liberator. He says, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And notice how he says free indeed. Not just free, but free indeed. In other words, this is a two-sided freedom a freedom from, and a freedom to. If you believe in the Son and let Jesus, the Son of God, liberate you, he will free you from sin. He will free you from the guilt of your sin. He will free you from the eternal hell that you deserve for your sin. He will free you from the power of sin, and one day he will free you from the very presence of sin. But not only will he make you free from these things, but he will also make you free to do and experience the opposite. He will make you free to positively live as you ought to live. He will make you free to relate to God day by day as a child relates to their father. He will make you free to walk in God's love and to come into God's presence to worship God and to come before his throne of grace in prayer. He'll make you free to confess your sins to him with courage and receive his forgiveness and his grace day by day. He will make you free to engage in the adventure of loving others with his very love that he has lavished upon you. And he will one day make you free to live forever in heaven with God, free to behold the face of God for all eternity. Being free indeed, like I said a moment ago, is a two-sided freedom featuring a freedom from and a freedom to, and it's only Jesus that can make a person doubly free in this way. 
confident in his ability to liberate us, Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Do you believe that? Jesus is speaking these words to the unbelieving men who have just challenged him, and he is graciously holding out hope still for these men if they would only join their colleagues in believing in Jesus and then continuing in his word. But Jesus also speaks this promise for the benefit of the brand new believers in him who are listening in as he speaks. He's assuring them and assuring us that if we believe in him and continue in his word, we will find the truest freedom in him. So my call to all of you this morning is to believe in Jesus and to continue day by day by day by day in his word. On your days of victory and usefulness, keep continuing in his word. On your worst days of failure and defeat, get back up and continue in his word. On your days of blessing and good fortune, continue in his word. On your worst days of suffering and heartache and pain, continue in his word. On your days when life makes perfect sense to you, continue in his word. On those days when you are disappointed and confused, continue in his word. When Jesus says things to you that leave you feeling warm and fuzzy all over, continue in his word. When Jesus says things to you that strip you naked and pierce your conscience with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, continue in his word. In moments when Jesus tells you to do something that you are excited to do, continue in his word. In moments when Jesus is calling you to do something that you absolutely do not want to do, continue in his word. When he calls you to forgive someone whom you do not want to forgive, continue in his word and forgive. And if you don't feel like forgiving that person, continue in his word and let his word remind you of your own sins and about how he forgave you of your sins by shedding his blood upon the cross and let his gospel word motivate you to love that person and forgive that person who has wronged you. Part of continuing in his word involves trusting Jesus when he tells you that his death provides you full atonement for all of your sins and provides you his very righteousness that you are now clothed with. Continuing in his word means that you believe that to be true and you find rest for your soul in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So whenever you as a believer are tempted to think that your standing with God is based on your performance somehow, continue in his word 
which tells you that your standing before God is based solely on the work of Jesus and not yours. And don't let anything ever draw you away from his word. When the devil tells you that you are condemned, continue in Jesus' word, which tells you that you are forgiven rather than abiding and marinating in the devil's word. When Jesus' word happens to be different from your own word. In other words, when Jesus says something that disagrees with something that you've always thought or said, continue in his word rather than following your own word on that matter. When Jesus says something that contradicts the prevailing word of our culture today, continue in his word rather than continuing in the word of our world system. For example, when our world today tells you that there are over 90 genders, yet Jesus says in Matthew 19.4 that God created mankind male and female, continue in his word rather than the ever-changing word of our culture today. You see, Jesus' word never changes. Uh, The world's word is always changing, and you're never going to be able to keep up. According to our passage today, if you continue in Jesus' word, you will show yourself to be a true disciple of Jesus. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who is setting you free, you will be free indeed. So continue in his word and keep looking to Jesus as the God-approved Messiah for you. And every temptation and every trial and every discouragement and every opportunity Look to Jesus and continue in his word, and he will make you free indeed. For those of you that are here today who have never believed in Jesus, come to Jesus today and believe in him. Believe in him when he tells you that I am the great I am, the Messiah, I am the light of the world. Call upon his name and then continue in his good word. Hear the promise of Jesus when he says to you, if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. Let me end on one final note, uh, a note that I think is needed given the current state of our culture uh, today. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, one of the most quoted sayings of Jesus nowadays is the statement that Jesus actually makes in our passage. Um, What's another statement of Jesus people love to quote? Judge not, lest you be judged. Uh, Perhaps a close second is what Jesus says in our text today where he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Only what people do with those words today is they flip the meaning of Jesus' words and make them mean the opposite of what Jesus was actually saying. 
One homosexual writer says it this way, and I quote, for LGBTQ plus persons, there is no promise more powerful than what Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now listen to what he says next. Quote, when we come out of the closet, we live and know our truth and it sets us free to be our authentic selves, unquote. This is a complete twisting of Jesus' words that keeps people in bondage. Yet it does provide us one final opportunity to recap what's actually going on in our passage today. Keep in mind, guys, that Jesus is talking to a group of people who have heard him judge them and tell them that they will walk in darkness and they will die in their sins unless they believed in him. Jesus even said to them in verse 26, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. And wonderfully, some in Jesus' audience embraced his righteous critique or judgment of them and then embraced him as the light of the world that they needed to be delivered from their sin and their darkness. So the truth that Jesus is speaking about here in John 8, 32 is the truth that they will come to know if they continue in his word, not their own word. The word of Jesus to people is that they are enslaved sinners in need of someone to rescue them and that he is the savior that they need and that he came to rescue them from their slavery to sin and to help them to walk in a freedom that comes from following him, not from following their own lusts and their sinful impulses. This is the freedom that Jesus is holding out to people today in our text. He's promising this freedom from, for all who believe in him and continue in his word and who follow him. Not a freedom to be your sinful, selfish self, but a freedom to walk in a newness of life that conforms more and more to his word. This is the will of Jesus for those who believe in him. And it's his promise for those of us who continue in his word. And he stands ready to make good on that promise because he's the only one who truly has the power to make us free. Amen. And that's really good news. It's really good news for brand new believers and for old believers like me. It's good news for all of us. Let's pray together and thank him for his goodness to us. Lord God, we thank you for sending your son into the world to do the amazing miracles that he performed and surrendering his life and death upon a cross so that through his 
death and resurrection, we would have salvation. But Lord, we are also thankful, so thankful for Jesus' teaching, for the fact that when he was here, he, he told us things. He told us the truth about ourselves, and he told us the truth about you, Father, and he told us the truth about him and how we can have salvation and the fullness of life through him. I ask, Lord, that you would give to all of us the ears to hear what Jesus says and to believe in him and to believe him in whatever he says and to esteem his voice above all other voices, including the voice inside of us, that his voice would be supreme and that we would be his disciples rather than anyone else's disciples and thereby know the truth and be made free through that truth, free indeed. Many of us, Lord, even who are your people, we know that this freedom is ours positionally, but we're not walking in this freedom because we're not continuing in your word, your good word, like you call us to. Help us this week, Lord, to repent of that and to eagerly pick up our Bibles and, and to read your word and to meditate upon your word, to abide in your word and to believe your every word to be true and that we might thereby grow into the practical experience of this freedom that you came to provide for us. We are a free people who have believed in you, but help us, Lord, to know fully of that freedom and to walk more fully in the freedom that you came to give us. And then help us, Lord, as we declare the good news of salvation through Jesus to others, that they might know that this gracious, loving, powerful freedom is available to them too. We ask all of these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.